0: You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now,
1: here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. I am your fearless leader, so courageous and magnificent. I am Andrew Lowen. And, and you're I'm also so full of it. <laughs> a little narcissistic today and i'm joined as always by amazing richard and sexy irish sean how you guys hi
0: guys i wouldn't call myself amazing either
1: he's gonna say king richard but there are too many king richards out there there's the robin hood king richard venus and serena williams dad
0: i'll be a prince how about a prince prince richard okay
2: my wife got the subscription of all these british tv shows and it includes all these Shakespeare stuff so you've been watching plays uh-huh. and you really have to concentrate because you know people were far more articulate in the past <laughs> like yes. so you have to like really listen and concentrate what are they saying it's like an enigma it's have you heard definitely. the conspiracy theory that Shakespeare wasn't a real person and that it's just a pseudonym for sir francis bacon you know
1: that's the way the hardy boys works out i mean you know the hardy boys is written by like tons of different authors and that really really hurt my feelings when i learned that all the Hardy boys books that I wrote or that I read were not written by the same person. I could buy Shakespeare being fake. Yeah. Cause you and know, I the term
2: Shakespeare his. is a reference to Athena who holds a spear goddess of wisdom. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting There's because apparently showed. he was a peasant and knew nothing of, you know, the upper class. You could barely write his name yet. He supposedly wrote all these plays that are very eloquent and are about politics of the courts, which how would he know if he's just a peasant? So he either had connections. Yeah. For people in the courts, or it's a pseudonym. That's very <laughs> <interesting>. <laughs> my wife's a huge Shakespeare fan. I like putting her pigtails and annoying her with these <laughs> these ideas. <laughs> Do you know Shakespeare wasn't real?
0: All, all I can say is words are okay. overrated. You guys are just <laughs> <laughs> in fact, one of my favorite things, this is actually Kickstarter related, because at one time it was a Kickstarter. There was a guy who made a product called Wordless Poems. In fact, his name is uh, Ramteen Ferozian. I can't say it. Anyway, he's a famous black and white photography author, and he created a, this wonderful book called Wordless Poems, and they're just really awesome black and white photos of various scenes and things going on, and there's no words. Yeah. And I think that's really cool. That's
1: awesome.
2: <laughs> the picture paints a thousand words, yeah, and this is go. a picture of one word.
1: So on this episode, we were going to talk about conventions. We were going to revisit conventions. I'm going to a convention this weekend and convention season is back on. So a lot of board game publishers and, you know, I mean, really anybody that has a cool product that's worth demonstrating, which is pretty much what Kickstarter exists to promote, will go to a trade show or convention. And board games in particular is where I have my expertise. And so I was going to talk about conventions and how to run a booth As a board game publisher but also what to do if you are not going to run a booth and i've actually chosen not to get a booth um, for this convention this bgg spring convention and you know we'll see how it goes but i'll share my plans and we'll talk about different things that have worked for us in the past and kind of explore that out so we'll also get into some fun news like uh, facebook knowing you better than you know yourself and and more. So let's dive in.
0: And now it's time for Nerd News featuring Andrew Lowen. Awesome.
1: So Castles of Burgundy is on Game Found Now. And I'm really interested in Castles of Burgundy. Ever since Ryan came over and taught me how to play, it was actually on my shelf of shame for almost five years. In fact, maybe about five years. I bought it. I opened it and I saw all of the tokens with all the symbols on it. And that type of game drives me nuts. Like, ain't nobody got time for that. Yeah, I know. Seven, seven, (laughs) I hope we don't don't play that. Yes. Seven Wonders is another game with a lot of symbols. And it just frustrating to memorize all of the symbols, teach all of the symbols to others, and that sort of thing. And when I saw the amount of punch outs that had symbols on them, I just stopped punching it out and I put it on my shelf. And it was there for five years. And then Ryan came over and taught me how to play. And it was really, really enjoyable, had a lot of fun. And now, you know, the, but it had problems. It was clearly dated. It was not colorblind friendly at all. Like you needed to know the different colors of the various tiles. You need to know the images and all of that. But the, the colors were awful for colorblind friendliness. And one in, I think one in eight, men is colorblind uh, in some way i don't know what the stats are for everybody maybe it's one in eight people castles of burgundy the special edition that just got launched by awaken realms fixes all these problems the tiles are actually 30% larger they use like chunky castle miniatures you can get metal coins you can get like expansions and all you know in one place and you can get like the all in for uh, of gameplay for about 100 dollars, and there are like quad recessed boards you can get like acrylic tokens and i love playing games that are blinged out it just makes me want to play the game more and this game is extremely blinged out and i think at the moment at the time of our recording it's only on day three and they're revealing new stretch goals every few days so in fact they might be revealing like you know a stretch goal every day and today's stretch goal that will be revealed is Day three stretch goal. So um, there are going to be even more awesome things a part of this and Awaken Realms is known for delivering. I am kind of at this point with my board game collection where I want awesome games, but I would rather have fewer games that are more upgraded and more fantastic and just play those more often. It's kind of the worst when it comes to uh, having to learn another game like every single day or every single week. It's not something that I... I don't think anybody enjoys like reading the rules of a new game and bumbling through it so that you can enjoy the future plays that you'll never have because you have to earn or you have to uh, learn another game next week.
2: Yeah. I think one reason why a lot of game developers opt for the symbols and icons for the game components is for localization. You don't have to worry about translation. All you have to do is translate a rule book and then bang, your game is now ready for another language. So I suspect that's why they do it more so than anything.
1: Yeah, actually, that's a huge, a really good point because, I mean, Deliverance, for example, the game is basically the rules are on the cards and that makes localization extremely difficult because, you know, three quarters or more of the game has to actually be printed for each different, for each separate language. And when you're talking about, you know, a company that might want three to 500 units in a different language, it's just, oftentimes does not justify the cost that they'd be willing to pay uh, for that that localization. But if 75% of the game were consistent and 25% of the game needed printing in a different language uh, or less, you would do very well, oftentimes at, uh, with localization partners. So I hear what you're saying.
2: In terms of learning games, there's a good YouTube channel called John Gets Games, and he sort of does playthroughs where it's like, he plays the game step-by-step step and he sort of it in a sense where you're supposed to follow along. So that might be good to have if it's like your first time playing a game. It's like a step-by-step guide of a playthrough and you might do it the first couple of rounds so you get used to something and any, any aid necessary is, is useful. I, I see the value now of those gaming tables where you can set up, play your game and then like pause it and then like cover it again and have a table and then open it up and continue where you left off. Huge advantage.
0: <laughs> yeah, those are really yeah. cool. I just have nowhere to put one, and uh, they're pretty pricey. But they are really cool. <clears throat> in fact, I've yeah. seen someone – I saw someone convert, like, a pool table into one of those. Pool table sort of indents mm-hmm. in. So he's using yeah, that pool as, a like board perfectly. game part, and then you just cover it. <laughs> That's awesome.
1: Yeah. But then a pool table is huge, mm-hmm. and probably have nowhere to put that either. <laughs> <laughs> You could use the
2: the pocket says for your drinks as well. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the biggest Batman board game ever has launched on Kickstarter. Um, The game is by Monolith Board Games. They recently actually did a Conan uh, board game. They had another IP they did, and that one raised, I think, uh, looks like 3.3 million a couple years ago, back in 2020. Or, sorry, last year, sorry, 20, 2021. It started in 2020, but in 2021. And now. They got Batman, Gotham City Chronicles, Season 3, and RPG. And as I'm staring at the Kickstarter page, the number just keeps climbing and climbing and climbing. They did about a half a million dollars on their first day. Right now, they are about 748,000 in. And they got about, by the time you guys listen to this, there's about uh, about a week and a half to go on this campaign. What I like about this campaign, there's a couple things. One is that it supports many different pledge levels. So they have stuff for everyone, no matter what your budget is. So if you have a high-end budget, you're going to get the kit and caboodle with the RPG, the board game, et cetera, et cetera. And if you have a lower budget, they still have options for you. In fact, this is a two-in-one Kickstarter. They have an RPG book where you can play RPG tabletop games, and then they have a board game. And um, so I think it's really cool that they're offering you know two types of products with you know the price point. And of course, you can also go all in and get it all. In fact, the board game all in I believe also includes the RPG book. Let me see here real quick. No, it's separate. Sorry. There's a couple different ones. They have the RPG, they have the, the they have the board game and then they have like everything. But then also what I like is that they also like for example the RPG part, so if you if you want something like soon or now, their RPG part will actually be available on print on demand. Once you've done the pledge and it's gone through, they will send you a link where you can actually view and download the RPG book immediately without having it being shipped i really like the idea of the multiple like the the range of pledges and the multiple things you can get as well as having being able to get get your items if you're if you're a backer being able to get items really quickly as well as wait for like the big thing so that was my 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 two cents on that
2: great so for my new segment it actually comes from a book called the age of surveillance capitalism the fight for the human future At the New Frontier of Power by Susanna Zuboff. If a title is that long, you you shouldn't be reading it.
1: (laughs) I was going to say, which is is more eloquent, that or Hamlet?
2: It's a pretty um, flowery book. It's written by a philosopher. So it's talking about the the morals behind profiting from people's data points on the Mm. internet. It almost sounds like a college thesis. Well, it is uh, quite academic. So it's a heavy read. I wouldn't advise jumping into it unless you want to go down the rabbit. Whole- By the time
1: you finish, you'll have thrown your iPhone into a lake and you'll have a dumb phone and live in a cabin.
2: One thing that was interesting is that it really outlines that when Facebook and Google say they don't sell your data, they're being 100% true. They're being transparent. They don't sell your data. What they do is they sell the predictions of your data. So your data is the raw material, which they then can get data points and then make predictions on. So it's if that's what they're actually leveraging in there business model so they can say yeah we don't sell your data but they're using all your data
0: <laughs> that sounds like a facial recognition on phones you know it's like we don't record your face but we record the points around your face so we know it's you it's like the same thing it's like they've, they've it's it, it, it's it's still your data but it's not your data it's just like what
2: <laughs> Yeah, well, there's an article by um i think an ex-cia operative where he says that they made kill kill decisions on metadata alone. So this idea that, oh yeah, we don't capture any personal data, just metadata. Well, if you get enough data points around metadata, you can definitely identify someone. So it's just it's all bait and switch. Anyway, the point that I want to bring up was to do around a controversy that surrounded Facebook in 2017. Essentially what happened, Facebook was pitching to a bank in Australia and a document was leaked during this pitch that a News agency called the Australian picked up, and this document was apparently called confidential, internal only, 2017. So you know it's going to be good when it's labeled like that. And there was controversy around this because it basically stipulated that Facebook knows the emotional states of people on their platform. And the controversy was surrounded surrounding young people, like teenagers and those who are vulnerable. So you know it knows when people. It knows when people are feeling anxious or feeling depressed or feeling exhilarated, and they can then cater the news feed around those emotional states. But what I found was interesting uh, from this document, and we'll include the the links in the show notes for people to check out, was that this document outlined the emotional states of, of Facebook users throughout the week. And so as a marketer this, listening to this, I was like, oh, this might be interesting to uh, form ads around these emotional states or create organic posts for your community. So we will share them with you and uh, make them what you will. Obviously, this is from 2017, so it's a little bit dated. But overall, there might be some something interesting in here for us to consider. Facebook did... Have a an official response to this. It's very short. It's basically a sentence saying we disavow. <laughs> but it, it, but anyway, early in the week, people have anticipatory emotions, so they're looking forward to what's going to ha- transpire throughout the week. So that that'll be interesting if you've got a plan to do something by the end of the week. Making an announcement at the beginning of the week might be beneficial. On the weekend, people are reflective. They're reflective emotions, so we, you can think back: what did we just achieve throughout? The, the past week from Monday to Thursday, people have emotions that are around building confidence. So that's probably a good time to do like an update. And then the weekend is for broadcasting achievements. This is what has been accomplished. So this is what the research paper laid out and Facebook then came out and they denied that they use the emotional states to target people with, with the advertisements. But an ex-Facebook data scientist no, named Antonio Gracia Martinez said this, quote, there's nothing in the trade I know of that targets ads and emotions, but Facebook has and does offer psychochromatic type targeting where the goal is to define a subset of the marketing audience that an advertiser thinks is particularly susceptible to their message. He also said, quote, the hard reality is that Facebook will never try to limit such use of their data unless the public uproar reaches such a crescendo To be immutable, end quote. So basically, Facebook's going to make money however they can using your data, which is sort of what you sign over to use their services.
0: We're all Facebook guinea pigs. In fact, I just found the article. um, This was actually posted by Forbes. So back in January of 2012, so this is even before then, Facebook did a one week test uh, and they manipulated the news feeds of 689,000 users and they either removed all positive posts are all negative posts to see how it affects people's moods. Crazy.
2: Wow. So he's just doing psychological experiments. The,
1: uh, the only question that I have really, well, I guess the first question I have is, when was this data scientist killed? <laughs> you know, when did he have his accident?
2: Yeah, let's see. Uh, what's, let's do Google. Is he still alive? Let's see. Apparently he's been on the Joe Rogan podcast because there's a clip of him here. So I'm be okay. worth checking out.
1: Maybe he's just really good at not getting not having accidents or maybe he's got like more dirt. It's like upon my death, it will release to this news organization or to me.
2: (laughs) (laughs) If I'm not sitting in front of my computer at this time, every day, (laughs) this email is sent out. (laughs) (laughs) I suppose the overall point is to try and understand the emotional states of how people use the internet, but particularly Facebook where you interface with your backers and clients and whatever. And then try to craft posts that are going to satisfy them. I'm
1: reminded of uh, the Board Game Design Lab, which is a community on Facebook that is uh, quite a positive place you know, in the board game design industry. And they always post, um, what are your goals to move your game design projects forward? They do that on Monday. And they get a lot of comments, a lot of engagement with that. And then on Friday, what were your game design accomplishments or wins this week? and that gets a lot of engagement. It makes sense that people at the beginning of every week are looking forward to doing a lot. And then, you know, they're looking back at the end of the week and, you know, it kind of is, I feel like Fridays there, the social media engagement drops on Friday. That's because people are looking toward the weekend and they're looking forward to not thinking about work and doing the thing that they wanted to do or whatever it was, but you know, to have people look back on the week and say, what did you accomplish this week? Because they did work hard, you know, for the, for the most part, people uh, during the week, that's, that's when most people, you know, put in their, their hours. Right. And um, I think it's uh, very cool. Well, also scary that Facebook knows all of this, but interesting that these, you know, put into practice really do generate a ton of engagement over time. And I'll say that with those two posts, I've I've been around the board game design lab for a long time. And I was, you know, I was, I, I mean, I'd say I was around close to the time that this kind of began. And I would see, you know, a dozen comments initially, and now it's like hundreds sometimes. People gradually grow to expect that you're going to ask them that, and they're going to come prepared with an answer. Because they want to talk about them. People love talking about themselves and love talking about the things they love. So, you know, some that's why some parents will talk, oh, you know, like talk about their kids like crazy and how awesome their kids are. And then as soon as you start talking about your kids, they are too busy for you. You know, they <laughs> really don't care. You know, they only care about their kids. That's just the way people are kind of built. So to draw the things out that people care about at the time that they're interested in, you know, you know, asking a question in a way that kind of hits the interest, their most interest, or I don't know, hits the emotional state that, mm-hmm. you know, that is a, a very, it could, it's devious and smart. It can really make a big difference probably in a community. I would imagine. What do you guys think about getting into the topic at hand convention stuff?
2: Yeah. I want to ask about business cards. Do you plan on, bringing business cards and like hiding them under pillows and like sticking them <laughs> in like people's bags and they're not looking. Put them on top of the other booth's business cards.
1: I learned this a long time ago in networking. You want to gain information. You're not looking to necessarily give information. Um, so when it comes to business cards, you need to get other people's business card that you want to do stuff with. And it, it's not very effective to give your own cards out People again, they love to talk about themselves. They love to, you know. I mean, they'll in networking you can talk to people and they'll describe their their various pain points to you. You know, just because they like talking about themselves. But a lot of the time, when you tell them what it is that you do and you give them a business card, I, it's funny when people give like three business cards or more. I I throw all three of them away or put all three of them in the same spot that collects dust for a while, then they get thrown away. Or they go into like, they used to go into Ziploc bags and just I had five gigantic bags full of business cards that I never put into a database or anything like that.
0: I actually have a very advanced tip for those out there that worked very well for one of my organizations at conventions. I made a little website um, that did certain things. The idea was you bring a little, a tablet or like a little like Chromebook or something like a flip thing. And you, uh, you can actually give it to the person, and, and like, if you just want to, like a quick email submit, like here, like some people will be like, oh, I'm interested, but you, you know, if you give them a business card, they give you a business card, they may not follow up, or you may not follow up, but if you give them the tablet and they say, oh, just put your email and hit submit button, you got their email right then and there, it's in the list. Um, but yeah. one thing that worked for, for well for our organization is we made a quiz, and so we we'd find people who are interested, like, hey, can you take a quick quick quiz for us? And like, for example, like one of the fun quizzes we we try to make them as fun as possible. One was. What superhero are you? And so it would ask you like six questions like, oh, what color do you like? And are you mean? or Are you nice? Or, you know, where would you like to go on a holiday? You know, weird, stupid things like that. And at the end, be like, oh. You're just like Batman. And then like you know, people get excited about that. And Are you then,
1: filthy rich with no superpowers.
0: Yeah. And we we would get an email submit through that. And also we'd had a share button so people could share it on Facebook. So it was like, oh. And then I encourage others to fill up that quiz. So yeah. So if you if you can, if you can plan ahead to get a tablet and get your email list already ready to go. And like literally you can get submissions right there, then and there, and they're already done.
1: Right. and That's actually where I was going uh, with this because I built my email list, um, for deliverance myself to about 1,100 people before we did any sort of paid advertising. Now, um, some, uh, we did do some booths and conventions, which cost money and whatnot. Um, convention tickets, gas money, whatever, you know, you can boil a lot down into the work that I did beforehand. It wasn't free, but convention appearances can be very, very effective and as I said before, it's all about gaining information. You want to, uh, so for me, the number one thing that, I mean, the best thing I found was to have my cell phone with the MailChimp app open so that they could just type their email address in and add themselves to my mailing list. If they were interested in what I was sharing, they would just be able to take action immediately, give me the email address. And I mean, at the height of their interest, that resulted in a lot of Success, a lot of backers came from that exact thing.
2: You talked about handing if your have your phone. I just, my fear would be someone run away with your phone. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, so, they were sitting down.
2: Uh, That's why you get a cheap tablet. Yeah, get a cheap tablet. But it's just to keep that in mind, I went to a convention and it was actually the, the people running the convention. They were sponsored by Alienware and Alienware had sent them some high-end laptops. And like fools, they had them lying around. By the time the end of the convention, uh, was over someone had stolen the laptops you know you didn't have oh, i was at a convention we had laptops and, and things set up for our booth uh, we all had chains and stuff you know so you could like mount them <laughs> to the table because you just don't know you know, it could be off somewhere or talk to someone and someone can just come up and mm-hmm. snag something you know they're, they're so crowded aren't they so it's just take those uh, precautions
0: yeah um you can get a cheap android tablet these days for about 100 dollars us dollars also uh, Chromebooks um, what we used was a flip like one of those flip Chromebooks with a touchscreen and it was like it was like literally like a 100 bucks and it mm-hmm. was we used a hotspot so it didn't have its own internet we, we made a little Wi-Fi hotspot and that's how it got its yeah. internet and yeah I wasn't because I left it on the table I wasn't concerned about it if someone took it I mean it wasn't you know it wasn't mm-hmm. that much to be worried about and no one actually no one did take it which I was surprised but uh, <laughs> like I said it worked out so Andrew you' you're the convention you're going to is a board game convention correct?
1: That's right. And, you know, there's a difference, I'll say, between, you know, when you go to a uh, board game related thing, it's just like a trade show of, you know, most most kinds, except in some cases they are more like for board game players instead of selling board games. It's more about playing board games. And that's the case with this one, which is called board. uh, it's from the organization Board Game Geek. Uh, They have a, a convention in the spring and in the fall. And uh, this one is called BGG Spring. Um, I have previously exhibited as a booth um, at this convention. And uh, that was in, I want to say, like 2019, I think was the last time. Maybe it was, yeah, it was 2019. And, um, you know, we had success there. And now I'm going to go back, but instead of taking a booth, I'm just going to take my game and, um, you know, I have all sorts of things planned. But, uh, it's it's going to be really interesting. I'll also say, you know, in in regard to things potentially getting stolen at conventions where people are looking to play games, the section where businesses can put booths up and you know show off their products and demo their games, those are going to be less trafficked, and because they're less trafficked, thieves that intend before they go to these conventions they intend on stealing stuff most of the time the booth. Is not as easy of a mark you look at a convention like bgg spring the uh and we'll talk about why you know there aren't as many people going to booths you know as something like origins or no i'm sorry GenCon uh, gen con was the one i was thinking i said origins but i meant gen con gen con is a convention where people go with a a roll of money and they plan on blowing all of it on board games yeah so booths are quite heavily trafficked at gen con versus a convention like Dice Tower West or Board Game Geek Spring where the game it's more about playing playing games than than selling stuff. So, you know, at conventions where people buy, you know, you're more likely to see stuff stolen and that's when you need chains and that's when I wouldn't be handing out my cell phone. Um in the past I've actually had a notepad where people could write down their stuff but I mean, I would say I lost Leo
2: Jenkins at gmail.com. <laughs>
1: Seriously. Yeah. I mean, Daffy Duck at, at upyours.com. The uh, the number of emails that I received that were illegible were probably I would say a quarter of the emails I just didn't end up working. I remember at the end of this uh, it was a small convention, I had like 20 emails just a day convention at local. I, or no, I think I'd like 30 emails and I want to say only 20 of them actually made it into the list because the other ones didn't exist um, as a, <laughs> as an email and part, maybe, maybe they weren't interested, you know, those people weren't interested, but I think that I was just spelling things wrong and you know, f- from my memory, they were quite sloppily written. Yep. So. Um, there's you know. the,
0: yeah. There's the, there's the writing part. And there's also people, um, a lot of people these days want their, privacy respected so you know i don't i don't want to write down my email then like 30 people after me will see the same thing you know like they pass the pass the pad around or whatever um so usually like if that i don't put my real information so this will if i went to this game convention and i had a game that i wanted to promote or get get into following for this is what i'd do i'd find like like i said i like get that cheap tablet and then i'd have i'd have it tethered to my phone in my pocket for for internet so if, you know, if someone runs off with your little cheap tablet it's okay, and you know. I would make two separate things. I'd make one that's a direct email submit that you can just give to a person, say, type in your email, hit the submit button, you know, you'll know you be on my mailing list. And the other one would be, since this is a gaming board game convention, you already know they like board games. So you've already, you know, that's one of the obstacles you've already jumped over. So I would be like, I, I would actually hand the pad to someone and say, hey, can you do a quick survey about board games? And then like, for example, the first question would be pretty much related to your genre of the board game you're trying to promote. So let's say it's a zombie apocalyptic game or something like that. So like the first question would be, do you like zombies or do you like zombie board games? Or are you interested in zombie board games or word something like that? Now what's great is if they hit yes, you can take them to the next question Hit no, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be, say you take it to a screen says, Oh, thank you for your time. You know, and that's it. Like they're not going to qualify for your game. You don't want their email address if they gave it anyway. Um, so I think it'd be really a really great thing where, you're, and then you can show maybe some artwork and happy someone could rate it. And then like at the, at the end, you can say, Hey, uh, would you be interested um, in, you know, pretty much you'd use it as a lead generation for emails. Where if they if they qualify, you know, if they if they like the genre of the game, um, you can also ask a few questions. At the same time, you can get like things like like what mechanics do you like? You can actually get information from from people, you know, so you can actually use that for your game at the same time. And at the end, you know, if, if they actually are a qualified lead, then I'll ask them for their email and they put it in. Um I think that'd be the best non-intrusive way of of getting someone's email and also qualifying people for your game at the same time at a convention.
1: You know, I find for me, like when I'm running a booth, um, first of all, anybody that wants to run a booth, cough drops and water, the hotel water that costs $7. If you take it out of the fridge, you should take it out of the fridge. You will be much, much happier if you have that water versus if you do not. Yeah. You know, if you can possibly find water for a dollar for a gigantic bottle, of course do it, but you need to make sure that you have water. It's so important you will destroy your voice on the very first day, it, and because you were cheap and decided to save seven dollars, you'll have no voice for four days, and uh, you'll miss out on way more than seven bucks uh, just for that. So, uh, second thing, of course, cough drops. I had a gigantic. I have gigantic bags of cough drops that I bring with me, that I put in my pocket, and I just chew them like candy, or you know, suck on them like candy. And uh, just constantly throughout the day, it's it's very valuable. So uh, that out of the way, I find that to get people to walk up to your booth, just to simply get them to walk up to your booth, you need to have an attention-grabbing thing that shows them what kind of game that you have or what you know product you've got, and it needs to be interesting enough to get people to stop and just look at it. And what I find is most useful especially at a convention where people are more playing games and just kind of, you know, maybe they're going to do like one time during the convention. Oh, I'm going to do a quick walk around and just look at what other booths are around. And if anything looks interesting, I'll stop. But I have a game of Terraforming Mars here in 15 minutes, so I'm not going to stay for very long, right? You'll get people like that walking around. Then you'll have other people that will walk around and you'll see them looking at your booth from far away and then a little bit closer. A little bit closer, and then on like the sixth pass by, they're within your. You know, you can actually talk to them. People will will really like kind of, you know, scope out your booth before they actually come in because they don't want to be sold to. People hate the idea of getting sold something they don't want just because they stepped a little too close. Oh, now this guy's going to sell stuff to me, and it's going to be annoying, and I'm I don't want to give him the time unless I know it's going to be at least somewhat interesting, right? And so for me, at a convention like that, I would always have an icebreaker. My icebreaker for deliverance at the time, I was calling it a dungeon crawl. So I would just ask people, do you like dungeon crawls? And they would either say yes or no. And if they said no, I'd be like, oh, cool. Are you enjoying the convention? They'd be like, yeah. And then I'd say, see ya, uh, because that's about how long my conversation would be. Right. But you you don't want to tie yourself down with the wrong people. You want to make sure that you're giving your time to the right people. So you want to have, I mean, yes, part of it is is that it's an icebreaker to ask a quick question that relates to your game, but also another part is to gauge interest and give people a a way out. So if you say, Do you like dungeon crawls? And they say no, it's like, Oh, well, okay. Sometimes they just keep walking, you know, maybe they're gonna be rude to you.
2: What's the rudest experience you've you've had?
1: so the most annoying experience that I've ever had that where I felt like it was, it was quite rude. was where one guy started telling me some weird tinfoil hat story about deliverance, the movie. And it just, it was like, he was just talking and talking and talking. I'm like, man, I've got this booth. I've got other people. I've got a, I can't just like, I'm can't talking to other like, people. As he's I gotta go to now. Oh thing. wait,
0: I'm at my own booth.
1: <laughs> I know. It's like, I'm in this, like, I can't get out because yeah. So that's probably the most rude.
2: If you go with a partner, then you might want to develop some type of hand gesture or something, which is, "Hey, get me out of this." Where he could say, "Oh, you know, Andrew, I need you to come look at this," um, and then oh, you say, "Oh, sorry, I've, I've got to go." And then, you know, you can, it can its a way to escape those type of conversations. You might—someone like that might actually just follow you, though.
1: <laughs> well, you know, it is uh, to that point. It's very important that you don't try to solo a booth. If you do a booth by yourself you will no long you will not have time for bathroom breaks unless it's really really slow and your the the person to the left or right in whatever booth that is agrees to kind of watch your stuff but even then it's not really going to be very well you know looked after and then you're not really going to get lunch unless you get lucky and manage to fill out you know get that that uh sometimes they'll give like a, they'll they'll bring lunch to you as part of like a meal plan for the people that run booths and you're not going to be able to multitask. Like you can't, yeah, if one person's talking to you and then another person comes up and is very interested, you have to, it's it's more difficult to wrap that person into a conversation that you're already 15 minutes into or 10 minutes into. So um, you're right. You definitely want to have some backup.
0: One one of the, the coolest booths I saw that caught my attention and did very, very well in marketing. First of all, yeah, they had more than one person. You got to have more than one person. If, if not, I mean, I, we know it is sometimes you're by yourself and that's how it is. But if you can't get a friend to come join you, but they had a person cosplay one of the characters in their game. And it was like really good. Like the person looked phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And so this person was behind the booth with them and people would come up and like, oh, can I take a picture with you? And they're like, sure. And then they would say in return, can we get your email address? And that's how they got like hundreds and hundreds of people i mean people just coming because they wanted a photo with this guy and so not only were they you know promoting their game and you know got this photo i mean they were just getting lead after lead after lead and of course if someone's really interested in your character that you're (laughs) that you have a person cosplaying (laughs) then of course they'll you know like your game so i thought that was like the coolest thing ever and it like that booth was busy the whole weekend it was crazy
2: so, add you rip off your shirt, get some golden tattoos, and you're away. Dude, I've
1: got my <laughs> brother-in-law who plays a character in my game, and uh, he plays Gabriel. I'm like, I'm going to get you a big, oversized shield and some Roman armor and angel wings, paper mache, and you are going to wear this in front of my booth at some point.
0: Yeah, and it follows the the, the, okay. the re- recipro- reciprocity. I can't talk. Reci- reciprocal Reciprocity. What's that it's word? Reciprocity. Reci- reciprocity. Marketing, where you know they want photos, so you know they feel. So if you ask them for their email, they feel obliged because they're getting something free from or from you. Yep. So in return, you know, they'll give you something as well.
2: So one I, thing I would do if I was running a booth, I'd probably go to Amazon and get one of those cheap plastic stands that you could put a A4 sheet in. And I'd just create a poster with a QR code with, like, the box art to say, get game updates. And, like, this QR code goes to this URL so people know that it's not going to, like, take it to something strange and just have that on a table so even if you're talking to someone you've got that little stand that little poster that you created that can do your job for you where this looks interesting I want to get game updates they can just whip out their phone scan the code go to your landing page submit their email and then walk away and that might be a way to get some leads so that's something I would probably want to try
0: yeah my, yeah. my organization tried that a few times and the the issue is it's it's sort of like you know people just see it real quick and go on unless they are forced to like use a QR code for like a menu at a restaurant these days, I mean, people just aren't, at least from what I've saw and from my own personal experience, they're not gonna scan it. I mean, unless you like tell them to scan it. Because we tried that a few times, it didn't work for us. It may have worked for other people, but it didn't work for us. And even I, like when I go to conventions, I don't scan QR codes.
1: I mean that's and just well, again, takes time.
0: It's- you gotta open up your camera thing and then you make sure you line it up right, and you gotta hit the button to go to the website, and then you know, it's just a lot of work.
1: <laughs> I will say that you really want to qualify people. So as an example, I earned sixty emails at BGG Spring. And I was there for three days, like three full days. And so I earned about 20 emails a day. That's not very many, not very many emails at all for a convention. That convention was worth um, thousands of dollars to me because all those 60 emails actually backed the game. Um, A hefty percentage of those people actually played, backed the game, talked about it, and you know, I, I earned some serious fans from that convention. And what what I find is that, you know, people are like, oh, 60 emails for, uh, let's just say like $1,000 worth of convention. That is a very expensive prospect. And yet my average backer spent $115. All I need is, you know, nine backers. And then i made my money back. But, you know, I end up getting close to like 40 backers out of those 60 emails. And the reason for that is because every one of those emails represents a person that I invested time into. And through my process, I basically start out with like a hello, you know, the icebreaker, if they do like dungeon crawlers, or if they, if they respond positively to the icebreaker, they always walk up to the booth. What my next step is, is to give them like a five minute demo. You know, it's just a really, I have a a copy of my game set up right on the front of the booth. It's like a partial setup that is staged I show them kind of how the game works really quick and the object of the game and what makes it unique, you know, as quickly as I can. And then I give them an opportunity to be done with the conversation. So the, you know, and a lot of people want to know how the game works. They don't need to like play a full, you know, two hour game or whatever, you know, 45 minute hour game to be interested in, in the product. So You know, I'll say, and that's how the game works. And if you want more information, you can sign up for your, you know, for for the email list. Is that something that you'd like to do? And they would say, yeah, or, oh, you know, I'll think about it or anything other than, yeah, and people like ecstatically excited. I don't worry about those people because if they're not excited about like my five minute demo, then they're not going to be, they're not going to drop a hundred bucks on my game. You know, they're sure as heck not going to drop a hundred bucks on my game if they're not willing to give me their email address, right? So focus on the people that are interested and you'll be rewarded much more than if you just get more emails. Emails are worthless unless they pay you something, right? And so it takes cultivation and really curation to make sure that you have a strong email list full of people excited to receive information about your product. So a lot of the time they would jump on my email list right there. And then I would still ask them, you know, thank you so much for following along. It still doesn't mean they're going to back your game. It's really all about investing into that person so that they become a diehard fan. You know, when they get onto your email list, the whole goal is to like warm them up and get them really excited. So the process doesn't end with getting an email. It begins, right? They've given you the right to communicate with them, but uh, when when you're in front of them at the booth, uh, the way I set up my booths for game demos, I have a table in the front with the the five minute demo on it, and then a table in the back where it's like, oh yeah, come on around. Would you like to play a demo yourself? And they a lot of the time they'd be like, yeah, let me get my buddy and this and that. And you've got like a three or four player game. All of a sudden, one of the people that is was running the booth with me, all volunteers that were fans of uh, Deliverance would um, run a game and they would have fun. They'd play 30 minutes or play for an hour and they would be like all sold diehard fans. And that to me is, you know, it it made that convention extremely valuable. And it was a relatively, I want to say a relatively slow pattern of uh, people walking by because again, most of the time people were playing games and then when they had a break or when they wanted a mental break and just walk around and stop doing math in their head because they've been playing games for nine hours straight, that's when they would come around and look at the booths and, and everything. But I think that even at a convention, you really want to try to treat people as though they, they matter to you, like that individual person matters to you because you only get a limited amount of time to really build or to invest into that person, it's, you know, and the, the best time is when they're right in front of you, right at your booth. Um, that's when you can give them the most personalized attention. And really you should design your booth's experience around giving those people attention. So that's, that's kind of the w- way that I feel about the, the whole booth and then, you know, visual aids and all sorts of stuff we could talk about in the booth as well. But what do you guys think about that?
0: Um, one thing also I just want to bring up real quick, um, as about email, um, if you do collect their email, you don't want to um, put them directly into your main list. You want to either tag them depending on what kind of email program you're using. Or create a separate list. That way, you could be a more customized, intimate experience when you're responding. Because at the end of the convention, you also want to send like a little email out saying, Hey, you know, we had a great weekend at sets and such Con. It was so great to see you there. Here's some exciting things that's going to happen uh, in, you know, upcoming in the game. Check out these resources like visit our Facebook page, blah, blah, blah. You want to make sure it's a more intimate experience. So if you just dump them into your main uh, list, mm-hmm. they may get confused, they may get lost. You want to make sure you sort of uh, introduce them and integrate them into your. Your main list by actually catering a little like you know a little special email to them um before you sort of just dump them in,
1: yeah, that's really smart, I think that's very smart that is smart um I was gonna say just doing that gives them that that little extra reminder, you know if I were to say, oh yeah, you know, thank you so much for coming by the booth at b g g spring we had a blast and this and that it's immediately you know people know. I met you at BGG spring, which one of you were there? There were like 10 people. And then it's like, oh yeah, it's deliverance. It just, all of us, I mean, they will not unsubscribe from your list. They will be very excited to receive that information.
2: I've had some, uh, going back to you know, this cosplay example on, on the booth, <laughs> you might not be able to have a full cosplay kit, but I think thinking of your appearance is very important. I know that when I've done, I've done uh, in the past like street surveys and I've always found that wearing a Christmas hat, you know, those kind of like red hats with like the bobble no matter what time of year you put one of those things on, people stop and talk to you and it's really, they're yeah. really it's basically a magnet to, to do surveys. Um, another one's like a high-vis jacket. So sometimes I've done like filming um, on the street and people just uh, respect you more if you wear a high-vis jacket for some reason. They're like, they stay out of your way, they don't interrupt your shots. So there's, I think there's, you might want to just think about your- about
1: like a sport coat? is that uh, like a no like kind
2: like of construction shirt. jacket you know like oh, uh, or, or like,
1: like high visibility
2: yeah high, high vis reflective and yeah so just keep that in mind what you what you wear you might want to wear something intentionally to be be remembered or to stand out and it doesn't necessarily have to be a like a whole cosplay outfit but you might want to wear a big goofy hat or something that just gets people's attention or they, they remember you and keeping it thematic probably would be cool but and you do what what kind of what are you kind of planning on wearing? Do you plan on wearing a Deliverance t-shirt, you know, with the logo or do you plan on wearing a suit? What's the kind of a the style you going for?
1: You know, I'd really like to wear like I said a giant paper mache set of angel wings, but it gets really hard to travel in between tables uh with something like that. Yeah, definitely my shirt. I do think it's very important that you be a product of your product. So You know, wear your own merchandise and that kind of thing. I think it's really good. It also tends to be a talking piece. If your shirt's really cool, people will say, oh, what is that? You know, and you'll be able to talk about it. And uh, so I think that that's really important, especially if you're not going to run a booth, which I, you know, regardless of if you're going to run one or not, you should be doing this. And um, it it looks very good when all the people in your booth are wearing the same shirt. I remember spending like a hundred bucks on T-shirts, just like a short what is it like a heat transfer shirts that were super cheap and would fall apart soon. But I, I made two of them for every person that ran my booth with me and we all looked like a team and it was really good, but you know, people wearing, you know, whatever it is that they want. I think that it, it's a lost opportunity. I do think that mm-hmm. that team, you know, appearance is is really valuable and uh, by myself, you know, I'll be, I'm not running a booth this time. I'm actually going and meeting Deliverance fans, and not focusing on like selling more copies of the game. I'm focusing on testing. I, I need to test this campaign, and the you know. So if you see me at BGG Spring, you know, you test campaign missions of Deliverance, and and that sort of thing. So um, that that's my focus. But when I find people, you know, I'll play a game of any sort with someone. And then say, hey, I have a, a game that I funded on Kickstarter and whatnot. I was wondering, would you guys be interested in trying out the campaign, I'm looking to test it? And the answer, especially if I have invested some time into people, it will be yes. Yeah, I'd love to. And we'll bust Deliverance out and uh, play some campaign missions. There are going to be people that are interested. And guess what? I whip my phone out and say, okay, yeah, what's your email address? Or put your email address in real quick. And I'll be wearing my running shoes in case I have to uh, chase them down. But I've also got the find my iPhone thing on, which is uh, pretty useful and also kind of scary because the government knows where I am at all times. That's basically my strategy. And for me, I think that playing games is very important. If you want to be a really good game designer, you have to play a lot of games. And so that's, you know, another goal that I have there. But um, yeah, if I was in a place where I was where I had product to sell or I was building up Toward a Kickstarter, I would have a booth. But because I am not doing those things, I have uh, plans to walk around. I'm going to meet Deliverance fans. We're going to talk. We're going to play the game together. If I added no new person to my email list and spent all my time with existing Deliverance fans, that would be like my dream. I would love that because I want, again, to invest into the people on my email list and make them excited and. And, and just, uh, you know, I, I don't know, like fans of me, fans of the company, fans of the of the game.
0: It, it would be so cool if you uh, made your parents babysit all your kids and then you and your wife both dressed up and went oh, yeah. <laughs> as a couple. That'd be like powerhouse right there.
1: I wonder if they'll let a reaper side through the gates because
0: <laughs> Yeah, uh, conventions unfortunately these days, because of a lot of things going on in the in the world, um, a lot of them are cracking down on weapons or things that look like weapons, um, which upsets some people and some people they're fine with. But um, you know, the hardcore cosplayers who, you know, have been doing this for years are getting upset that they can no longer bring the accessories that make their cosplay look like it's what it's supposed to look like. I mean, it's a thing, but yeah, I mean, if you could just like dress up as angels, both of you as a couple as for booths, if you get a booth at the convention, it's like having a Kickstarter already. Like you don't just go there and and put your $10 sign up and hope you get people. Um, It's got, you have to have it all planned out. You have to put in some money in advance. Like you have to get banners, you have to get, you know, tablecloth covers or whatever you need to make it look like you're a professional company. 'Cause otherwise people look at your booth and be like, oh yeah, whatever, that's just a joke, and they'd go on. So if yeah. you're gonna play with the big boys, you gotta pretend to be a big boy. And like I said, it's just like Kickstarter. You don't go on you know, you, you don't go on Kickstarter with your stick figure uh hand drawn art on paper and say, This is our game, we expect millions of dollars from you guys. It's just not yep. gonna work. And the same thing is true for conventions. Conventions is all about the eye candy. Your job is to catch their eye, and then once you catch your eye, then you go from there. But if you can't even catch their eye, you ain't gonna get anybody.
1: Yeah, that's actually a great point. And, um, you know, thinking back, I invested probably about a thousand dollars into equipment or, or stuff, visual stuff for my booth. I bought, uh, so I got a tabletop, a table topper that had the deliverance map on it, um, or at least a version of the deliverance map so that people could, so that it, it would just sort of tie the booth in. I got a three quarter table, uh, what is it called? The table skirt. So, that my booth, instead of just having a, so what they usually do is they'll give you a, like a six foot by three foot table and they'll give you a thinner table or maybe two of those, but most often like a thinner table for like talking to people or, you know, you can have your cash register behind it or something, you know, on it, but uh, they, um, or, you know, the tablet. And so what I did was I got a, a three quarter table skirt I got a table topper for the actual game. It kind of is like a neoprene mat for your game. And I got a large, I want to say like, it's like an eight by 10. So, like 10 foot wide, eight foot tall, or maybe vice versa, eight foot wide, 10 foot tall. Something your booths are 10 by 10. Everything has to fit within that uh, space. So, uh, but a big giant backdrop of my box cover. So, uh, that all together. I mean, that that giant backdrop is like six hundred dollars, at least it was at the time. And then the tablecloth and the the table table topper and the three quarter table skirt was like, you know, two hundred and fifty bucks. So I guess eight hundred fifty dollars um, plus probably you know all the cough drops and water. I don't know.
0: And well, did you also have handouts or any kind of printed materials as well?
1: Uh, I did not. Well, yes, actually, I did. I did have. So I have at the time we had a client who was a printer that I I got a ton of printed material that said, you know, handouts that were like, here's our website address. And these are some quick highlights of the game that included some of the game art. I I think it's useful to have something for people to take away because a lot of the time they want something. I'll say that I handed out maybe a hundred or so. I think I had 500 printed. So I did have a takeaway. You know something they could. They
0: could take yeah, a lot of people you know, of course, used to use business cards back in the day. Those are sort of like blind marketing these days too, because it's sort of like banners on the internet. People see them and then they forget about them, or they get so many of them they don't know who's who and stuff. So, of course, if you ever do like give out stuff at your booth, you want to be unique. If you have a really cool artist, or if you're a cool artist yourself, one of the cool things since a lot of these conventions are also, like I said, it's the a lot of conventions at least here in Southern California are cosplay related, comic related, et cetera, et cetera. Well, it would be really great, like, instead of having just a business card or a thing, a page that says, here's our link or here's, you know, a QR code, hand out a mini comic book. Make a little couple-page comic book that has your one of your main characters in the game do something really cool, and then, of course, you know, I have to add for the, your game on the back or whatever. Things like that that stand out that people, you know, get their attention and they'll, they'll peruse it later when they're in their hotel room with nothing better to do at 9 o'clock at night after they're waiting for the next day of the convention, you know.
2: Guys, out of all the conventions you've been to, Maybe this is like the question we can end things with. Which one has been the stinkiest convention? (laughs) Because some of the conventions I've been to, especially when I know nerds congregate, there's some that I suppose don't have a high level of hygiene. So is there any conventions that stand out as the stinkiest?
1: Uh, Yeah, you know when someone's worn a shirt two days in a row, it's like, oh man, you know. I'll say one thing, con crud is a term and I wash my hands all the time. And every time there's a sanitizer station, it's like, I heard that this is bad for me somehow, like it'll dry my hands out or something. But oh my gosh, I'm always about that stuff. I really try not to touch my face and I avoid a lot of sickness that way. Just like stupid little colds and things that you get from a convention. So common. The stinkiest convention is probably uh, a local convention that I had called Kingdom Con a really great convention run by an even greater dude. His name is uh, Ross Thompson, uh, which is no longer running, but they had this board game room that was like down some stairs. Like Rick, you you and I actually did this convention together and we were Are you saying I was the
0: stinky one. No, no, it
1: wasn't (laughs) stinky there when, so you had to go across the parking lot to get to the unpub room. And that's what we were doing, the unpublished games. But then you go into the main convention, you walked in a hallway and then you walk down some stairs into a basement area that was filled with board gamers. And it was like a hot, stinky box of a room that everyone was really close together. And it was. The worst.
0: It, it seems to me, it seems like the smaller conventions are actually safer when it comes to the stinkiness, because um, it's less people. Like the worst ones, of course, are the are the humongous ones where people are crammed. Like for example, I hate to say this, but Comic Con oh, no. San Diego. <clears throat> yeah. um, there's areas like where you like the only way you can move is literally by pushing people. Like you it's it's so it's like going to a rave concert. You're just like sardines, and of course that's where it's bad because you have like you know 500 people in one little spot. And, uh, it's just bad. In fact, like I'd, I'd have passes for the whole week, but I only go like a day or two. And the reason why is because it would just so overwhelm you because it's like, it would take you. So the convention is really big. Like it's, it's like, you know, like, I think it's like something like, you know, it's got like 190,000
1: turnstiles or something
0: The yeah, the amount of aisles, it, it takes up the whole San Diego convention center. And except for this last year, they did a small one, which wasn't quite as big, but I liked it better. Cause there was less people, but yeah. so like, but it's so crowded. Like, okay, by itself, if you were there by yourself, like you were the only person there, it would take you, you know, a good, like, you know, just, just perusing down the aisles, walking down the aisle, each aisle, it would take you at least 30 to 45 minutes just to just just to look not stopping. Like you just go down and you quickly look at all the booths. Well, when you add people. Yeah. And when you add people to the event. It literally takes you one to two hours to get from one side if you're going through it. So, the, I mean, if you're going through the convention, it literally takes you one or two hours to go from just one side to the other trying to go like directly. I swear, like it's just so crowded. Like you, you're you you're either barely moving or you're not moving or sometimes you have to go backwards to go forwards. It's really crazy. And when you have all those people crammed together, it can get smelly as long, if the air gets a little stale, um, especially yeah, I- if they're all crammed in one spot.
1: Yeah, I'll also say that the first BlizzCon I ever went to was so stinky. The first BlizzCon <laughs> was really stinky. Uh, Level 10 Elite and Chieftain was the band that uh, would play all the time, you know, because it's like the head Blizzard dudes and uh, the people watching and having a fun time. It was just their arms were up and uh, it, it was almost the death of me. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, how about you, Sean?
2: I haven't been to too many what? conventions, but yeah, I've, I've, it was one in Dublin. It was like an esports event, and I think they had a, uh, it was like a, it, it was a, they had a, a general gaming room. And this was likewise, it was like, it was in a hotel, but the section was like in the basement of this hotel. So there's like no airflow. And there was like a general gaming room with different, consoles and like tabletop games and magic the gathering and yeah it smelled so bad
0: <laughs> esports e- esports is so bad because no one bathes or showers like it's like oh we're, we're a competitive team we don't have time to to shower you know we got we got to use those extra five minutes to uh to do our thing yeah. you know one more it's, game. yeah esports e- e- is bad because it's all the people who've been locked up in their homes all their lives and like are playing just one game and focusing on the one thing they want to you know be good at and they're in their guilds and they're in their groups and stuff. In fact, uh what's the what's the one that has like the teams? I think it's League of Legends with like Cloud9 and I mean Yeah, oh yeah, he's
1: got a couple of different.
0: There's some YouTube videos out there that like follow them. These guys have no life. Like they're they're literally like 20 out of 24 hours they're on their computer playing the game. Yeah. They're like they have no other commitments and they can't have other commitments. And they're all living in the same home and it's like that's got to be horrible. I would hate to walk in that house. And just, feels that's like, like the hey dream guys.
1: Of a lot of people, like it's like their dream to be like that. But that's
2: that, it's, that, that, that culture hard. started in uh, South Korea with StarCraft, as, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Star- oh,
0: StarCraft, yeah, yeah. Yep. I hate it whenever I play against someone from South Korea, it'd be like you <laughs> lose yeah. in like one minute, it's
1: <laughs> like two circles, and then you're dead. Um, yeah, I've been there,
0: and that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. Cause it's now convention time and we must go. But if you enjoyed this episode and want to listen to some other ones, visit our website at crowdfundingnerds.com. Also, if you're interested in our services, hit that lovely, I think it's hire us button. That's on the uh, top of the page. And you can check out some of the uh, other clients we've had and the great experiences they've had with us. And of course, if you have any questions or interesting things you'd like to share with us, we have this wonderful group on Facebook called the crowdfunding nerds community. Join the community Check out what's going on. There's always something going on out there. There's always people helping each other out. It is a very great community. How large is it? How large is our community these days, Andrew? About six hundred people. Six hundred people of like-minded. It's like literally like geared just for you. Catered six hundred people just like you. We're we're using the Facebook emotion algorithm to uh, (laughs) extract information from you guys, and so it's a great great resource. (laughs) And you can't smell. And we'll see you all next week. But until then, stay nerdy, guys.